Hello, great family at Oakwood. Thank you for tuning in today online. I apologize about the situation. I wish we could all have gathered together today, but out of abundance of caution, this is probably the best way for one week uh, to deal with the situation. I'm live from the bunker. Uh, well, it's my basement quarantine, keeping Julie and Josh upstairs and away, separated by a black sheet of plastic, uh, trying to make sure they stay healthy. Pray for us, uh, and I thank you for your care and concern. I want to thank Phil Christensen for giving us that song, leading us in some worship this morning as we prepare uh, to, to get into God's Word. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We're going to take the next two weeks and talk about God's word. How do we get it? How do we know it's true? How do we interpret it correctly? I think these are the two basic messages that we need to have before we launch into our Revelation series. We're going to put that off until after Easter now. And that way we'll be having a good start and everybody will be on board. Uh, but before you tackle a tough book like the book of Revelation, it's good to uh, understand God's word and to revere it and to understand it in a clear way. But also we need to talk about how do we interpret it correctly. There's two things. There's God's inspiration. He gave us his word and that's inerrant without any error. But then there's interpretation. That's what we do with God's word. And there can be full of error in interpretation and how you'd go about interpreting God's word. So we believe that God's word is perfect and what he gave us in the original manuscripts is inerrant without error. But we do believe that man can make mistakes in how we then interpret it and understand its meaning. So we want to do some work. We want to talk first today just simply about God's word. And then next week we'll talk about the work of interpretation, how to do that as properly as possible. And so there is a, uh, a big idea, I guess you would say, is God's word, his authority, accuracy, and authorship. That's what we're going to talk about today. And there's a, a key va a passage, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. That's 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You're probably familiar with those last two or three verses uh, often used to talk about God's word. But to put it in context, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's, he's letting him know that believers will face persecution. And while that's happening, one of the worst things is that there's deceiving and being deceived. And Paul went through a lot of horrible things, but his main concern was that people were being deceived. And there were deceivers out there giving the false 
translation, the false interpretation of the word of God. And that's why he then goes into those famous few verses warning a young pastor and warning all believers uh, to hold God's word reverently. We believe in the plenary and verbal inspiration of God's word and, and its inerrancy. It is without error in its original manuscripts. And we'll talk all about that uh, this morning. And so we'll get back to uh, the PowerPoint notes and and uh, God's word, his authority, his accuracy and authorship. And this is called bibliology and the study of the doctrines of the Bible. It's the doctrine of the Bible itself. And it deals with revelation, inspiration and illumination. Revelation is God to man. Inspiration is man to paper. And illumination is from paper to heart. God is involved in every one of these aspects. We would not have his word if he had not revealed his word. He gave it to us. And then we wouldn't know how to understand it if it wasn't written down. And that is inspiration. God gave his word to men who put it on paper. And then we wouldn't know how it could affect us unless it's illuminated to us from paper to heart. And so that's what we're talking about this morning when we talk about God's word. First Peter two or first Peter one, twenty-five A says, The word of the Lord endures forever. All those things about the Bible are true, and, and all of it's wrapped in his perfect preservation of his word. We believe that the holy God who gave us his word preserved it perfectly. It is without error, and we can trust in it. And so I'm going to walk through just a couple of things this morning. The Bible is perfect and complete. The Bible is perfect and complete. Each book has a certain type of writer. Let's talk about those Bible authors. There are 40 different writers of God's word. Yes, God, it is God's word, but he breathed it through 40 different writers. They all come from various backgrounds and each was either a prophet, an apostle, or someone closely associated with them. And so we have some firsthand witnesses here and people uh, that God chose to write down his word. It is interesting that, that God chose different men with different backgrounds, different talents, skills, abilities, we often use that when we talk about that Second Corinthians passage where it simply says, all scripture is God breathed. And we like to use the illustration of an instrument. If I had a harmonica here and I blew into that harmonica and played it for you, you would hear a certain type of sound. Maybe some blues would come to mind. But if I had a flute and I could play that flute beautifully, uh, you would hear something that you would hear maybe in a symphony uh, completing a piece or maybe the saxophone, and and you would think of some jazz. And, you know, each writer was like a different instrument. Those instruments were different, had different tones and different uh, types, but it was all God who breathed the breath through that instrument. He made it happen. He caused what they were to write to be written down, but he used their styles and their differences and I like that. But each book agrees with one another. All these authors, 40 different authors, and, and the Bible is a cohesive story and it all agrees with each other. The Bible never contradicts itself. 
The Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If the word of God declares that the word of God is perfect and true, then we must believe that. And if we shake that foundation, a lot of things fall down. Uh, you can't say that you can trust in God's word if you only trust in certain parts of it. In other words, uh, if the story of creation in Genesis is wrong and it's not written correctly, well, then how do we know and have confidence that the story of the cross is true? If the story of Jonah was just made up and it was just allegorical, how do we know uh, that the story of Paul is true? I think you understand what I'm saying. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So the Bible is true. It's accurate. And then back to that 2 Timothy 3, that, that those last verses, verse 16 and 17. All, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, if it's not true in parts, how could all of it be profitable then? How can it be useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training? Uh, how could that be beneficial uh, to, to make uh, every person, every believer grow up and mature? How could that be true if parts of it aren't accurate? And so we hold to this very important doctrine of Scripture. The Bible is perfect and complete. We've talked about the authors and how that they each agreed with one another. And then all the books were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the inspiration part. God breathed it. And then in 2 Peter 1, 21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that this uh, word of God was given to men, breathed into them. The Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote so that it was a cohesive, true, agreeing book of all the many different types of books written. We can trust God's word. One of the biggest complaints or arguments that I've heard is people say, you know, it was written down long, long before we had recorders and, and long before we had copy machines. And, and uh, how could it be accurate if it's handwritten? I mean, didn't they just make a mistake, you know? If we played the, the game telephone today and whispered something in an ear, went around a circle uh, with 50 people, by the time they get back around, would the story be accurate or would it be missing details? And, and that's been the thought people have, but they don't understand how important the word of God was. And they discount God's work in his preservation of scripture. And so I wanted to give you some details. They, they didn't just willy-nilly write this down. Uh, Joe Schmo didn't just, you know, copy the word of God and that's all we have. No. Uh, every time a shovel hits the ground over in Israel, every time in the Middle East a shovel hits the ground and they make a new discovery, it's beautiful that God's word is proven true and accurate over and over and over and over again. The 1611 King James Bible, all they had, uh, their, their original copies at that time uh, were accurate and true, but we found more since then, more uh, toward the beginning, we more toward the original writings. We have those now, and we look at those, and we can compare, and we can, can see now uh, how accurate they are. And, and we now have a beautiful understanding of God's preservation. Uh, part of the reason you can trust God's word, well, it says in Second Peter 3, verse 2, 
I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. We're told biblically to recall the word of God because it's accurate and true. So hasn't it changed? I mean, have we found that there's a ton of error? Well, you need to understand how it was copied. It wasn't just willy-nilly. It wasn't just some random writing. Uh, this was taken on by the Talmudians. The Talmudists had rules from AD 100 to 500. They would copy the word of God specifically and strategically. I want to read you some of the rules so you would understand how you can have confidence in the accuracy that they had. The Talmudist rule states, no word or letter must be written from memory without the scribe looking at the codex before him. In other words, uh, let's say that the Talmudian who was in charge of copying a written text to another copy of a written text, he couldn't get to John 3.16 and say, oh, I know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No, he couldn't do that. He, he had to copy letter to letter. So, so for God so loved the world would be F. O. R. Each letter had to be looked at brought over and written down. Not only that, the Talmudist rules state that between every consonant, the width of a hair or thread must intervene. And between every section of parasha, the breadth of nine consonants. They were very detailed. I mean, can you imagine a guy with a thread or, or a, a piece of hair? And as he's writing each, you know, F, where's the hair? Oh, put the hair there. R. This was tedious, tedious, detailed work, laborious labor. And the copyist must sit in full Jewish dress and be recently bathed. They took this very seriously. They understood that this was the very word of God. And so they would copy it to preserve it to generations. And they would make sure that it was an exact duplicate as close as possible to the very word they had in front of them. They would put on their, their Talmudian outfit, their Jewish outfit, and they would be ready to write, bathe, clean. It said he should not begin to write the name of God with a pen newly dipped in ink. I don't understand that rule, but they had rules and especially rules about writing down Jehovah. If you were going to write the name of God, it was very sacred and they didn't take that lightly. They also said in the Talmudist rules, if a king addresses him while writing the divine name, the scribe should ignore him. If you ignored a king, you can have your head cut off. But if this guy's in the middle of his duty, fully dressed, recently bathed, and he's working on letter to letter on paper, hair and thread and, and consonant divisions, and he's making sure. And if he goes to write the holy name and a king walks in and says, hey, you, he is not to stop. He keeps his focus. He goes letter to letter, gets the entire word written down accurately. With all of this said, the scriptures must be revealed. Again, God has to reveal his word for us to have it. Scriptures must be inspired. In order for it to be a living, powerful, accurate thing, then that God had to do a work in breathing it into his different instruments. They might have a beautiful, different sound, but but 
It was God's word breathed through those instruments, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's word must be infallible. Again, if it's not accurate and true, you can't trust it. If you can only trust parts of it, then what good is it? So we hold very strong to the fact that scripture is accurate, infallible, inerrant. Those are important words. I know there's lists out there. I have a list of over a hundred supposed contradictions of scripture. Again, a lot of that has to do not with inspiration, but interpretation, how people read the Bible today and they find supposed contradictions. None of those contradictions add up to anything accurate. As you look at it, I, I truly believe God's word is true, divinely given and right, infallible. It's also illuminated. Yeah, I believe that God does the work so that we can uh, interpret it and, and understand it. And that's what we're going to be working on next week is how to translate and, and to uh, interpret scripture so we get the plain meaning. There's a plain meaning. I'm amazed at how people play with scripture and they think there's some hidden message, a puzzle. Uh, God gave us his word so we can understand it, not so we have to dig around and, and, and try to find a hidden meaning as if he's some puzzle master. It's not that. I believe them. The authors wrote, they had a plain meaning for their audience. And we now, uh, centuries later, we can get to that plain meaning of the text. A lot of that has to do with the Holy Spirit helping us and illuminating that passage for us. I believe God's word was canonized. It was put together and the books that we have in the Bible are the books that were meant to be there. I know that there are some versions of the Bible that include some other books, but I'm talking about the 66 books that we typically have in our uh, NIV or ESV or King James Version Bibles. Uh, those are canonized. It's closed. There's not going to be anything added to that. We're not going to add the book of hesitations somewhere after the book of Malachi. No, it is closed. It's finished, complete. Those are the canon of scripture. And of all these things, it's preserved. God preserved it. And I trust in him. He wanted his word to go forever. And so he preserved his word perfectly for us. With that, before we move on to next week, I wanted to encourage you to get a good translation of God's word. There's several different types of translations. There's literal word for word translations. A good example of that is the New American Standard Bible, but uh, those sometimes are wouldn't really hard to, you know, not easy to read. Uh, but a literal word for word translation is great. But then there's dynamic thought for thought correspondence and, and, uh, those those are decent translations as well, uh, but you need to know that you got to get yourself a good translation, one that works for you. I highly recommend the ESV or um, the NASV. Uh, those are good translations of scripture. NIV also is one that I grew up with and have. Um, any of those do a really good job of translation. Uh, and then um, I encourage you to perhaps get some Bible study tools. Uh, recently, I just gave somebody an ESV study Bible. That thing is honking this big. Uh, but you need to have some tools, uh, something with cross-references so you can see how this ties in with another book, another uh, scripture. Uh, uh, maybe a, a Bible book introductions to really get a basis of what each book is all about. Some study notes or annotations, a concordance. It's good to have a concordance in your Bible and uh, a topical index. 
Uh, maps sometimes are helpful. Those are things you should look for when you're getting to uh, buy a study Bible. And then there's some special tools. As believers, uh, you, you need a good Bible handbook. Uh, it gives you great information about the history and times of when it was written. The Bible dictionary, that can help you out a ton as you try to understand words and thoughts. A good Bible concordance, uh, like a Strong's concordance, is also very helpful for you to uh, look things up. Uh, Bible commentary, and there's a ton of these online, but it's helpful to see what some people have um, commented about the meaning of certain scriptures. Be careful when you do that. You find a good one. Make sure you don't have somebody who's contradictory toward good theology. But a good Bible commentary can help. And then word study tools. There's a lot of those online you could get to. And uh, most importantly, you want to know what does it say? What does it mean to those reading it in the Bible times? And how does it apply to me today in my life? Um there's a lot of error that people make in interpretation. We're going to spend all next week talking about interpretation. So when we get ready to get into this book of Revelation, we have a better uh, tool set uh, to study and, and, and how do we understand some of these things. There's all sorts of different types of literature. I'll talk about that next week in scripture. And so we're going to talk about literal translation of scripture. Even when we're talking about allegories, uh, you need a literal translation. Uh, the Bible jumps from allegory to literal all in one passage. John's, uh, the book of John starts, there was a man, his name was John. Very literal. Later on in that book, John says, behold the Lamb of God. Uh, not literal. Uh, he, he, he's making a point. And so how do we handle those things? I'll talk about that again next week and we'll get into uh, interpretation and understanding even things like apocalyptic literature like revelation it's going to be fun so thank you for being students thank you for tuning in today uh, i pray a blessing on you let me pray right now father god in the name of jesus i pray for uh, the great family at oakwood and those beyond who are watching in today uh, god we're disappointed we couldn't gather we got a week off uh, but god i pray you bring healing and restoration and that no one else uh, gets this terrible virus and i just pray that we would uh, again uh, look forward to being students of your word and being fed from your word. Uh, God, we do believe that your word is truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a good day.